Welcome to Color Me Dead. This is a true crime podcast, and we talk about murder and fuckery most foul in detail while using the darkest of humor. If you don't like words like fuck and cunt, then you probably shouldn't listen. But if you do, then join us while we fuck your feelings. We were hoping that we would go to bed and wake up the next day and that it had been a dream. I mean, we were that scared, and it's hard to put yourself in a in this situation where something like, where you've done something like this, it's so horrific that really the whole universe has changed. Yeah, right. So, we are episode 87. 87. 87. A-V-Shivin. A-V-Shivin. Oh, wow. So here we go. You guys did this to yourselves. Yeah. You fucking voluntarily listened, so. Welcome. Uh, to another educational episode of Color Me Dead. This would be the disco bloodbath episode. Welcome to Color Me Dead with Angel and, and Nikki. Nikki. <laughs> so, how was your Christmas? It was good. How about you? Mine was fine. Like, it was really uneventful. Mine, for the most part, was. Can't <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>, hold that. <laughs> We can leave it. It's fine. It's my brother ironing his clothes. Because we're, the- we're recording at Angels today. So if you hear dogs, cats, Spencers, or Davids, and perhaps my children. Yeah, just block that shit out. It's no worse than my kids like screaming or knocking on the door or my dog shaking herself or whatever. So yeah. we're good. We good. But no, uh, Christmas was really good. It was really uneventful. We didn't even put up a tree. We just did stockings because. We didn't, we just didn't go get the fucking tree out of storage and shit. Um, New Year's was uneventful. Well, you guys were all out of the room and I was sitting in here in the living room and I looked at my clock and I'm like, oh, it's 12.01. Nobody's in here. And then (laughs) a couple minutes later, you're like, oh, so you ran to Spencer and I was like, what's up? Yeah. I was (laughs) like, New Year's Day. Hey, well, no, I I was like, I looked down and I was like, oh shit, it's New Year's. I was like, it's midnight. So I ran to go get my kiss. Yeah. But we weren't doing anything. Like, we had different movies going on in different rooms. And everybody was in their jammies by, like, eight, seven. (laughs) (laughs) So we were like, I I was debating on whether I was going to make it or not. I'm like, "Mm, meh. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Are you going to make it? I'm not going to make it. It was, dude, I made it to, like, 1.30 and then I was out ski. I don't remember how far I made it. It just wasn't that big of a deal. Like, we weren't out. We weren't doing shit. So, Mm-mm. that being said, um, let's see here. Do you guys know how to find us? If you don't, you can find us on social media. All of it. All of it. Go to Facebook at Color Me Dead Podcast. You can find us on the group at Color Me Dead <laughs> <Can't. laughs> We've got Color Me Dead Podcast group. You can find us on Twitter at Color Me Dead Pod. I recommend (laughs) Facebook and then Instagram also with Color Me Dead Podcast. You can follow Nikki on Instagram at Gory underscore Nikki. And Angel at Color Me Dead Angel. Yeah, that's where you find us. That's where. Uh, Also, if you guys are interested to... uh, Interested to? Interested to. If you're interested to. Hey, if you're interested in... Checking us out on our Age of Radio page. You can go to ageofradio.org slash colormedead slash where you can find our Patreon link. You can listen to our episodes and you can go to our 
Sponsors. Sponsors. I almost said subscribers, and I'm like, that is so not the fucking word. (laughs) That's not what I meant. No, you guys can go check out all of our cool fucking sponsors. So if you heard something in the episode and you want to go back and check it out, do it there. Yes, and we have Loot Crate, Lootware, On It, and Blue Apron. Yeesh, there's quite a few. Yeah, if you go click on there and you shop, any, like, portions of it goes to us if you shop there. Yes, so shop there. Shop there. (laughs) I feel like that scene from Ghostbusters, would you like some coffee? Do I want coffee? Yes, Yes, have have some. some. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, have some. And so, back to the episode, we are bringing you a little tidbit that was actually mentioned on the group page. And you guys started talking about true crime movies, and this one popped up, and I was like, holy shit, I know this one, and we haven't covered it. We're doing Michael Alec. Yes. and I Oh, did, God. Oh, Salem there's sh- a meow. Meow. And I'm watching this snake. Slithery, slithery little snake, well, a little snake. I know. Like, what the fuck exactly are you looking at? He's every probably time, hungry again. Every time I talk to Dave, I'll be, like, staring. He's like, what? And he gets all weird. I'm like, the snake is slithering up behind your head. <laughs> It's freaking me out. It can be. When I had, um, I had a great big 15-foot Burmese python named Lincoln. And whenever Link would start tooling around in his, but his, his uh, terrarium was actually as, it was probably four foot wide, four foot tall, and like six feet long. And that had a solid like oak lid so that he couldn't get out because he was a very big snake. But when he started cruising around because I knew he was hungry, it even made me uncomfortable at times. I was like, eh. Nope. Anyway. Wait. So. So. Disco Bloodbath was actually a book that was put together by a really good buddy of Michael Alec. By, uh, it was actually James Clark who went by the name James St. James. By the by, I also found out that St. James is a rather popular moniker in the gay, male, gay porn industry. Because when I was Googling James St. James, <laughs> you, you would surprise. be surprised at what I found. Surprise. Anyway. <laughs> surprise. Wieners. <laughs> All of the wieners. Wieners. Yeah. Wieners, wieners on, on the, the glass, glass of the, the Alano Club. Club. <laughs> so, yeah, just be careful when you Google certain shit. Anyway. Uh, disc, the Disco Bloodbath is actually a book that you can find by James St. James. And it's all about what takes place in the club kid scene in the late 80s, early 90s. What would you say, dearest, if I told you once upon a time, one upon time, one upon time, one upon time, there was actually someone who committed a murder and then repeatedly fucking ratted themselves out to anybody that would listen, including live television. One word. Drugs. Drugs. Jacks. Jacks. Out of Jacks. <laughs> because he really did. He tattled on himself and literally tens of people at a time. Tens of hundreds. Tens of people tens. at a time. Ten at a time. Look, there are ten people here. I'm going <laughs> to tell this ten and then I'm going to go to that ten. ten. Yep. <laughs> so this would be the story of Michael Alec, a.k.a. the party monster. And as many of you are already familiar with the movie that's based on a true story, finger quotes, based, Fing- based on a beast. true story. Uh, this should be a fun little episode for you. Michael was born in South Bend, Indiana on 1966. On 1966. Yes. Just on 1966. That's it. Okay. Just on it. In 1966 on April 29th. He shares a birthday with Spencer. He was born to a German native mother named Elke. She was actually married to Michael's father for a very brief moment. And uh, 
They divorced when he was like four or five. And his father, John Alec, was a very distant man who was very unapproving of his son. And he worked as, it came back as like, he was a salesman, but also a programmer. So I'm not 100% sure what he did, but he really didn't have a lot of contact with Michael following the divorce. And Elke went from Elke Alec to Elke Blair. Anyway, John kind of bailed, went and did his own shit. Didn't have a lot to do with his son following the divorce. And unfortunately, they lived in a very small, conservative, homophobic town of South Bend. And Michael was subjected to a lot of bullying, a lot of fights. He got thumped on a lot. And um, his dad just really thought that he kind of deserved it. Like, you're a weird little homo and you deserve what you're getting, which is probably the saddest thing I read. Right. Yeah. That's awful. It is awful. And there wasn't a whole lot that you could dig up on his his background from his childhood other than he was really close with his mom and he was also uh, supposedly subjected to sed- sexual assault at the hands of several trusted adult figures in that small town. I wonder who it was. Like I wonder did it ever say is it In the in the movie Mama's boyfriends. It like boasted that it was like church officials and stuff and i don't know how Uh, accurate that was because you know based on a true story based but he did michael alec did say that he was sexually abused multiple times as a child now at the tender age of 17 he made his way out of the small and south small and south small and conservative south bend uh by the by just so you know Macaulay Culkin actually plays the party monster michael alec in the movie but he also was kevin McAllister in home alone and who was he afraid of the South Bend Shovel Slayer. Oh, uh, shit. That's what they should have called Michael Alec. Yeah, they T. should have. But that's... Ooh. Sorry, my ADD was getting the best of me. So... <laughs> oh, yeah, he, I just spit everywhere last week. Meh. Meh. The SBSS, the South Bend Shovel Slayer. Sorry. I'm anyway, a shirt he was, made. He was <laughs> getting shirts made. Shirt. Shirts. He was very well read, the little spit fuck. He actually ranked top eight in all of his schools, middle school, junior high, and high school, and he graduated top like top eight of his class. Um, in the middle of buttfuck nowhere, Indiana. So the kid packs up all of his shit and kicks rocks all the way to fucking Manhattan because you know, you come from a small Why town. Why not? Why not move to the one of the largest cities ever in America? Now, Alec had actually been beaten up several times, as I mentioned before. 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 And he was taunted with the word faggot, and he would go home crying a lot. Now, he was not a fighter, and while his mom was really supportive of him, his father really wasn't. And his son's sexuality is one of those things that even after everything is said and done, at the very end of the story, you'll find out that his dad still just doesn't have much to do with him. Well, and back in the late 80s, early 90s, being gay was not as accepted as it is now. No, not at all. And it's it's one of those things where that was like the height of the AIDS epidemic, too. Oh, yeah. So those two things were very synonymous with each other, and both were bad. Like, mm-hmm. you could say homosexual, and people were like, we're all going to die of homosexuality. Got, don't touch me. You've got the AIDS. Don't walk. But she put the gay on me. I swear to God. <laughs> What is that from? That was actually an ongoing joke from Angel and Jess when we were okay. younger. Oh my God, okay. I think she just wiped the gay on me. <laughs> I knew I knew it. Honey, go could... wash your hands before you start wearing tank tops and liking girls. 
All I thought of when you say she wiped the gay on me was, I got the poo on me. I've got the poo on me. Oh, God. <laughs> well, maybe we'll... Did I ever tell that story? I think we did. Oh, uh, yeah. We don't need to reiterate. We don't. Well, so young little Michael runs his little bougie ass to Manhattan in the uh, early 80s, where, you know, shit's covered in glitter and everything's famous. Fabulous. Famous. Famous. It sounds amazing get, to me. I know. And everything's fucking awesome. It's where dreams come true, which I find to be absolutely terrifying and scary as shit because you move from this tiny town to like this bustling metropolis. But glitter. But glitter. Glitter has to make it all better. I Fuck, I hope so. If I'm scared, just throw some glitter at me and I'm, it'll be just, just gonna, fucking fine. Yeah, I'm just going to walk around with little eggs. That you know, you get at Easter, so I can just break them on your head and be like, Yeah, I'll be like, I'm fine. (laughs) Turd, dear. Now, he actually went to school in New York at the Fordham University for a bit before he decided to transfer to the Fashion Institute of Technology. And the little busybody Michael ended up dropping out of school and became a busboy at a club called Danceteria. I think that's how you say it. I would imagine. That's Danceteria? what I've decided. decided. Well, when I first looked at it, I was like, is that Dancetera? Oh, that's clever. Oh, wait, there's an IA at the end. So he actually met the boyfriend of an artist, um, Keith Herring, while he was still enrolled there. And they were the ones that kind of encouraged him to go and like check out other avenues. Uh, the club scene was kind of coming to an end for Danceteria, but he wanted to get in there anyway. And that was kind of a pivotal moment for young Alec. He started working his way through the club cover club goer food chain (sighs) and he actually turned out to be one of the most prominent party promoters in all of new york alex studied the club life and he really did his fucking homework and he made friends with all the right people he actually did an interview with a guy named christopher bolin who works for interview uh it's literally called interview and said that he was pretty sure the only reason he got his job at dance terria dance terria what are we going to call it Dance Terrier? Yeah, Dance uh, Terrier. Final, final ruling. Dance final teria. answer. Dance Terrier. <laughs> dance Terrier. Uh, he said the only reason he got a job there is because no one else wanted to work there. And this club was coming to an end. The club scene was getting a little fickle. And places like uh, Studio 54 and all the clubs where Andy Warhol hung out, hung out and like all his little famous um, cronies, it was all coming to an end and they were trying to rebuild the, the nightlife scene. And that's where Michael was like, I'm going to fucking reinvent all of this. All of it. All of it. I just did my, which you got to do two snaps in a circle. There you go. Because everybody could see my circle. This is why we got to stop, stop. It's why we need to start filming shit and go back and rethink a YouTube channel. Because I think it'd be fucking funny. I think it would be amazing. But people are going to see all of my double chins. So before every episode, I'm no, just going to write, f- write fuck you on my double chin. The camera is going to be really high. Real high. We're going to have all the makeup on. We're not going to look like we do right now. Fuck no, because I look like I'm homeless. I do too. I showered yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> At some point yesterday, I showered. I showered yesterday too. I have the same clothes on. Mary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. YouTube might be a little different. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see how it works out. You see. So anyway, yeah, the, the club scene was coming to an end. It was starting to die, and Michael wanted to resurrect that, and he did. He did it in a death swoop that people called a push of sheer personality or luck of the draw, but a lot called a termination. Determination. Okay, is this an interview? Is that what? Yeesh. It's a direct quote. This is a direct quote from Michael. And all I can see is Macaulay Culkin with his lipstick, and he has better lips than I, I do. I know. He really bitch. does have l- 
he has plump little lips. He does. And that's all I could think of during the whole movie. I was like, why you? Why not me? Why not me? Why Why does it have to? Why are the good lips wasted on you? So are the eyelashes, though. Look mm. at most dudes mm-hmm. that have like really thick, lush, voluminous fucking spider legs attached to their eyes. They don't appreciate them. You got spider legs on your eyes. Son, you got a panty on your head. It wasn't done consciously. I didn't go out and plan to do it that way. I remember being at the Kosamin Sato fashion show at Tunnel. I don't know if that's how you say it, but that's how I say it. That's how we're gonna say it. That's how we're gonna say it. Yep. Which was Andy Warhol's last public appearance. And then the next thing you know, Warhol died. I remember when that Death of Downtown article came out by Michael Musto, where we were... We were all just floored. Warhol was going to be our ticket out of there. We were all going to become Warhol superstars and move into the factory and recreate the whole thing. I was furious at Michael Musto for writing that article because he was ruining it for all the new kids. He and his crew had their fill and now they were ready to move on. But we had just gotten there. So me and some friends, Michael Tron and... Julie Jules, met with Rudolph Piper, who was running Tunnel at the time, and we said, we're not ready to pack it in yet. We want to do something. Rudolph saw nightclubs as a place for social revolutionaries to meet in an uninhibited form. He was very sub... Sub- why are there so many big words? I'm there are so many around. words. <laughs> There's so many words. Why can't I do this? Subversive subversive and was always looking for the next big thing that would topple into the mainstream he always told us that something new will happen when enough people get bored and fed up with the fact that there's nothing going on he thought that there's a reason for downtime for a lull it's so people can gather their strength and build something new only we were too anxious we didn't believe in downtime so we basically got together and said let's start something new now we don't just do, we just are. That's my that's my favorite quote quote ever. We don't do, we, we just, just are. are. Yeah, I didn't say that in the right flair. Yeah. I know I wasn't snapping. Snap. We don't do. We just we are. just are. Michael threw and orchestrated some of the most insane parties that were ever thrown or attended in New York City, which started off as tiny offshoot room get-togethers at the tunnel with a guest list and an open bar and turned into outlaw parties in random locations. So this is this was the birth of his, finger quote, club kids. And they started taking these kids into these, these little rooms and they would set up an open bar. A lot of these kids were underage. They were only 16, 17. They weren't paying to get in. It was open bar, so they were drinking for free. And he Fuck was essentially yeah. just like... He he wasn't he wasn't making money for the clubs. He was kind of fucking bankrupting them. Right. In At the beginning. Open bar. Yeah. Well, in these outlaw parties, I would have paid good money to be in New York and attend some of those because I was a big raver when I was a youngster. And I I hear tell his fucking parties were some of the best. We would have been a little young for no? 90? I was partying then. Yeah, you were. Yeah, I she, forgot. Yeah. I have my boogie shoes on already. Oh, we covered that in the last episode. <laughs> my, 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 my boogie shoes. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, wait, wrong decade. In the beginning, Michael and his club kids were dressing up and they were going to this party and it was supposed to be completely a satire. They were attempting to be ironic, not iconic. The point was to have fun while making fun of like the Warhol superstars. So Mm. they were imitating these celebrities, these celebutants, and it was supposed to be funny. They changed their names, they dressed in wild costumes, and they were all fucking famous because of it. Well, the costumes, I don't know how you couldn't be. After, Dude, if it, you see some of that shit, I don't know how you couldn't Google be it. famous. Google yeah. that shit. Google be, it. Be careful when you look at Ran- or, uh, I almost said Randy St. <laughs> James. That's from Zach and Mary Make a Porno. It's James St. James. Anyway. Googler. <laughs> Google it. Uh, so while the club kids were trying to make a name, mostly Alec, they opened the doors to the tunnel to all those underage kids I was talking about. They drank for free. They basi- basically. 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 They basically ran these clubs into the fucking ground. Eventually, the owner of the tunnel called it quits with Alec and declared no more club kids. Uh, his name was Rudolph, and he had visions of these VIP rooms that were like gentlemen in tuxedos and fucking Liz Taylor's, you know, draped in diamonds, sipping on champagne. Of course he was. What they had were kids dressed as fucking chickens and shit. <laughs> right. Fucked up, with, running around this club. With the bum like bump it. on their lips. Yeah, with bum bumps <laughs> on their lips. And fucking, ah, bum bump. <laughs> <laughs> and and basically just fucking his club up. So he was like, ah, we're done. <laughs> ah, bum bum. No. Oh, we're done. <laughs> yes. So because because Rudolph wasn't getting what he envisioned, he called it quitsy. Well, following this, Alec became involved with a man by the name of Peter Gaten, who owned a club called Gaten? Gaten? Gaten. Gaten. Anyway, his name is fucking Peter. Peter. <laughs> Peter. who owned the club limelight which is actually an old church he became the main promoter for peter and was running amok new york just throwing the craziest fucking parties now these outlaw parties that he orchestrated where he would gather his favorite 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 i need to slow down and calm well i can't read because apparently words are fucking not my forte today neither one of us fuck i can't read Uh, or word (laughs) I apologize for the minor inconvenience. My brain is taking intermissions without permission. <laughs> Maybe Look. we shouldn't have taken time off because we returned and we can't talk. <laughs> we came back minorly defective. I'm pretty sure I'm dumber for that. Yes. We are all dumber <laughs> for hearing We that. are all dumber for have listening to... <laughs> oh, wow. For having listened to your fucking podcast. Yeesh. Uh, so anyway, he would gather up his favorite club kids like James St. James, Richie Rich. I love this one. Jenny Talia and oh. Gitsy. And of course... <laughs> that took me a minute. Sorry. Yeah, Jenny Talia. Oh, that was um, in the movie. That's actually Marilyn Manson's... Oh, uh, yes. ...character. <laughs> he looks so good as a girl. He, he should really have stuck does. to that. He probably should have. Mm-hmm. And of course, his newfound little boy toy, Superstar Dio... D-O-G. D-O-G-K-O-G. T-O-K. Well, give me a second. Meep. Super star. Super Sometimes when I get really nervous, I put my fingers in my armpits and I smell them like this. Oh, well. Superstar DJ Kiyoki. And they had a rather torrid little romance until things went sour. Uh, Alec went on in his interview with Interview to say that Duncan Donich, the train bridge, which is now known as Highline um, on one of the piers, 
And the world, okay, so these were some of the places that he threw these parties. So he would be in a subway, he'd be on a pier, he'd go to fucking Dunkin' Donuts, these burger joints, and just throw random fucking parties. What would you do if you were there? Just like, I'm just here eating a burger. And, and all these club kids show up with their high heels and... 300 kids in fucking eyeliner with fishnets yeah. and shit. I don't know. I'd and probably beautiful, be like... beautiful, plump lips. I know. <laughs> I need to know where you purchased your cosmetics, young man. <laughs> that eyeliner is amazing. Jesus, it's not even running and you're sweating like a whore. <laughs> so... He said, when the world was paying, we did one party at Pitt Street Pool. When the red zone was paying, we did one in a building that had recently exploded. When it had been cordoned off with yellow police tape, we did the party right inside that building. Why not? Because we fucking can. Because. Because we can. He he was also asked by the interviewer, Walt told me, that you once had a party in a crack house called the Id, and that was off the Hudson River. To which Michael told him it wasn't really a crack house; it was an abandoned building, and there were homeless people living in it like a squat. So we paid them in crack. Why not? And we made it a crack house. So what we... you don't know is <laughs> it wasn't a crack house until we got there and paid everyone in crack, and then it was a crack house. Right. So the the interviewer asks him, "So you turned them into crack addicts?" Yes. And- <laughs> yes. And Alex's like, well, no, they were crack addicts before. We'd give them $100 to party there, and then we'd notice that they ran out and bought crack, so we just made it easier for them and was like, here's your crack. Crack. <laughs> Here's some crack. Uh, the interviewer, Bolin, uh, also asked, so the nightclubs were pretty off-the-cuff operation until Peter came, in, came into the scene. And Michael told him that was August of 1990, after the Red Zone, after the Palace, the Palladium, World, Tunnel, Arena, and Danceteria. We basically bankrupted them all. We ran out of clubs, and we were living to pay the rent and keep it going. The club kids needed jobs, so I approached Peter, he said. I've seen that you've bankrupted every club in the city, and I'm not going to let you do that to me. But I have... But I have seen something of value in what you're doing. And if you're willing to work with me, then maybe we can make a club that is not solely just fabulous and not solely bridge and tunnel. We can do something in between. Then the club can afford to support these young artists. So he took being famous for being fucking satirical and ironic and bankrupted. Yeah, just (laughs) partying his little bougie ass off and bankrupted all these clubs and one guy's like no actually we can make fucking money off this if you'll stop being such a shit a sheet a little shit uh so bullet actually said that she asked you know so this is actually be oh excuse me he actually asked that this was going to become commercially viable and that the relationship with peter was going to be one that was actually made of money so michael la- says yeah and he's like Ta-ha, until we ruined him too and they did And they they did. So the interviewer says, by the time you hooked up with Gayton, the club kids had already become a cultural phenomenon. You had built it up into a really well-established, incredibly organized cultural machine before you mentioned aspiring to to be the Warhol superstars. Where you're trying to follow the Warhol factory formula? Michael said, what we were doing is very similar. It was really the massification of the Warhol thing because we were celebrating and mocking the notion of celebrity at the same time. We know how ridiculous it was, but we wanted to, we wanted our share as well. The interviewer says, oh, hit your mic. That's what I always admired about the club kids. They were much more democratic than Warhol's gang because you didn't have to be rich or beautiful to be one. 
For the club kids, you could really just be a kid from the Midwest who had a lot of creativity and still be part of the scene. You're both from South Bend, Indiana. Were you feeling like you had become the king of New York during the limelight days? Have you seen Newsies? Yeesh. I'm the king of New York. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I can see is freaking Batman singing that. Michael says, I've never felt like I was at the top of anything. I never felt like I had actually made it. Interviewer says, but meanwhile, you were um, making the club kits into a national movement. You were branching, finger quotes, the brand out in every which way. Michael says, oh, yes, and especially with Peter's money. I wanted to turn Peter into Colonel Sanders, (laughs) that character (laughs) with the patch on all of the invitations. He had limelight in Chicago and London, and we were very conscious of becoming a real brand. Bolin says, and you went on Geraldo's and Joan Rivers talk shows. That was my favorite. He actually did several of those goofy-ass late 80s, early 90s fucking talk shows. Did he and go in dressed up yes. in all his shiz? Yeesh. They, so they would take all of the club kids. So everybody would be in some kind of fucked-off outfit. And I believe he actually took his mom on uh, Geraldo. And the funny thing was is he's like... Now, didn't your son trick you into taking ecstasy? And she's like, well, he said that it was for my headache. And I did have a headache. And Geraldo's like, so what happened afterwards? She's like, well, my headache went away. Oh, I bet it did. I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. You know what? I'm sure it did. So Michael goes on to say, we would rehearse before we would go on to talk shows and try to come across as really bored and pretend to be these super superficial celebrities again we were pretending to be these characters of celebrities but most of them didn't get it most people thought we were superficial celebrities but we were satirizing satirizing but we were satirizing and they hated us for it the interviewer bolin comes back and says but certain teenagers around the country saw these spots and they really saw some sort of like potential escape portal and decided to follow you Now, Michael would go on to talk about how, yeah, these kids are actually quitting their jobs, all of them, and that he felt very responsible for them so that he had to get them jobs, find them places to work, live, teach them how to navigate the city, um, and, and really just keep pushing for... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline success for everybody now after disco 2000 started peter realized that he could refurnish his club and make it into this fabulous little place the weekends took off they were getting a ton of people in there so many that they couldn't even fit through the door uh peter um at one point in time said that they had hit critical mass he was grossing like twenty thousand dollars on the weekend but now he's getting 50 60 70 thousand dollars christ in a fucking weekend while these kids are partying there and because of this, he he was like, we can't continue this unless we widen the doors. So they did. He knew on one particular night that if he didn't get the, the building ready, he could potentially miss out on making $72,000 that night. Jesus. Yeah. And uh, 
he he knew like we can't get any more we can't do any better until we do something with the building so that's when they decided to open up a new club called usa uh it's hard to recapture just how famous michael was in the late 80s and early 90s he was like a parochial fame-based like middle america's preoccupation with like sinful shits and so the the goings on in new york club scenes and stuff so like all these kids in middle america small town fucking usa are watching them on talk shows they're seeing them on the fucking news and they're like i want to go do what they're doing I want to try. Yeah. Like, I want to be <clears throat> Mom, I want to go. Yeah. Look, Mom, no hands. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> but eyeliner and fake eyelashes. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, and th- that's the thing is, so he was a, a potent celebrity for everything we just discussed. Like, all he had to do was show up in these ridiculous costumes, act like a fuckwit, and people were like, love me, love me, sweat on me. Like, he was Sounds being good wheeled- to me. Dude, he was being wheeled out on stages for different talk shows, and he was dressed up kind of like Boy George, sporting this really, like, sardonic manner, being really facetious and shitty. And he was out there to defend his lifestyle and pretty much provoke a reaction in any small home of conservative value, and especially the columnists. In downtown New York, everything in his fame, like, inside this small, weird, intense circle of people, flip a page... Uh, was getting bigger and bigger, and he rose steadily in proportion, like to his scandalous an- antics. Like what he was doing made him more and more famous by the fucking second. Did that make sense? It sure did. I just like watching you talk because your your hands are going. You're like jazz hands, jazz hands. You know the part on <laughs> Big where he's like. <laughs> ice cream soda, <laughs> cherry on cherry top. top. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Walking down the street ten times a week. I said, I can't even remember it because I'm too busy laughing. Oh man, yeah, I'm. Pretty I stole animated. my mama's credit. I'm cool. I'm uh, suck me in the stomach three more times. Sorry, that's okay. all I can think of while you're doing that. Is like, that ha, ha, ha. so? I get all excited in what you're Jazz doing, hands. and I'm like, Jazz hands, not paying attention. Dudness. So. You got to the part where he's like, he was responsible for the empire that mm-hmm. employed 900 yep, at people. at his height. Okay. If that had been it, Michael, like Gayton, would be a footnote in New York. New York! New York society. <laughs> Jesus. New York's social history at a time when it exploded in rebellion against their Reagan-era values. His experience mirrored the boom and bust at the of the age and Alex excesses. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. His rampant me, me, meism and sometimes bullying, um, exclusive. Why can't I read today? I'm failing. Exclusive edge to the scene he created had more in common with the conservative mainstream or with high school politics than he perhaps liked to admit. So. Yeesh. I'm going to go back to interviewer from the interviewer Yeesh. named interviewer. Christopher. Bolton. Yes. Him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Were you making a lot of money then? Michael says, I wasn't making nearly what I should have been making, but I was never really doing it for money. I was doing it for the fun. I enjoyed giving people jobs and the no- notoriety, of course. <clears throat> the fun and the drugs. The drugs actually weren't a big problem yet. Bolin says... 
When you started out, you were actually a pretty clean character, right? Michael said, at first, we weren't using drugs at all. We were making fun of people who use drugs, and we would go out pretending to be high, pretending to fall downstairs, and we were caricatures of drug-addicted celebrities like the Eddie Sedwig, Sed, Sedwigs and the Courtney Loves. Oh, she was a shit show. God, she still is. <laughs> the, cur- the word for that is is. <laughs> you said that like it was past tense. <laughs> right. <laughs> we were making fun of them until we became them. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so <clears throat> at one point in time, like in the height of all of this, um, Alec was ac- actually affect. Jesus fuck almighty. He was actually responsible for all of the allure that the club empire had. And Peter Gayton would go on to say that he actually like, he's like, I employ over 900 people for like two clubs. And so when it, when it really came down to things, they weren't just like making fun of things. They were making like a small empire of making fun of shit until the ball dropped and they were the fuckwits being made fun of it's because of the drugs don't do the drugs don't do don't do drugs don't do drugs kids drugs are bad drugs are bad okay drugs are real bad uh the interviewer christopher was actually talking to michael and said walt was telling me that everything in the clubs was performative so the first time all the club kids tried hard drugs that was supposed to be performative too it wasn't about hiding in the bathroom stall in secret everyone in the entire club knew and the club kids were all trying heroin tonight or special k that was part of the shtick hold please Yeesh. what is special k uh it's ketamine it's an animal tranquilizer oh i know what that is yeah uh, and Michael went on to tell, <clears throat> excuse me, Michael went on to say, oh, definitely, there were emergency room parties. These were famous drug parties, and they were characters, character, ha! They were character, char- char- caricatures. I can say that one. They were character, oh, <laughs> okay, hold on. Character, oh, <laughs> say the word. <laughs> this is going to be an examinator thing, isn't it? <laughs> caricatures caricatures too wow (laughs) Mary with giant novelty hypodermic needles and IVs with cocaine it was all sort of a joke these started in 1992 and we did them once a month but then they were so popular we did them once a week then two and three times a week and eventually it was every night emergency room parties at all four clubs and the problem was they were giving out free drugs. So then it was, if you're not giving us free ecstasy and cocaine and Special K, we're not going to go. Now, Michael's behavior was becoming more and more volatile. He was urinating into people's drinks. He was urinating on people and bartenders. He Why would, not? Because that's what you do. Duh. If you're popular. If you're popular and you know it, clap Urinate. your hands. Oh. <laughs> if you're popular and you know it, piss in a drink. I'm sorry, that wasn't really all that clever, but he would actually do these things where he would like pretend to fall down and knock a bunch of people over and hurt them. Um, he would also play these little pranks where he would take a stack of $100 bills, go out onto a packed dance floor and throw the money like off a balcony just to watch people scramble for it and get hurt in the mayhem. Like because that was, of the tall shoes. It's because of their stripper shoes that they're wearing. If clack. they would wear normal shoes. <laughs> I love you. Clack. Yes, ma'am. 
Jesus. You smell so pretty. Be careful for your ankles, lovely. <laughs> when you get old, that shit is going to catch up with you. <laughs> you will get my money without clacking your fucking ankles, all right? Just, sweetie, all you got to do is gently bump them together. It's easily, easily. Whoa. <laughs> I apologize. Today <laughs> is the day. Today. Just remember. <laughs> I was in rehab. <laughs> I have an excuse. I have no excuse. <laughs> it's been a shitty day, but I can't really blame. I mean, oh, I guess I can blame it I, on that. I would bl- blame it on whatever you can. Don't don't take ownership for this. Oh, it, this is not my fault. There are people out there that are making me be stupid. <laughs> this is not my stupid. Other people put stupid on me. I have been surrounded <clears throat> by so much fucking stupid today that it's soaked in. And I cannot read. <laughs> I can't be unstupid now. No. I'm fucked. I can't wash it off. I can't pull it off. I I can't shake it off. Nope. It smears. I even tried to jump. It didn't come off. (laughs) Okay. Right. So, in addition to all of this shitty behavior that he was pulling in the clubs, he wasn't maturing in age and he was rather regressing. And the more popular he became and the more people that paid attention to him, the worse it became. I can imagine. Oh, you thought that was funny? Watch this. <laughs> Here, hold my, my beer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Oh, goodness. Now, the costumes were becoming less and less fun, and they were be- they were becoming more and more dark and morbid. And they weren't really costumes at this point because the drugs had taken such a firm hold on a lot of these kids that the costumes, the scabs, the bruises, the dark under eyes, the fucking pallid face, that was legit. That's how they fucking looked. They would probably look like we would if we were to make our own costumes. Only half of their shit is real. Yes. Uh, so it's, it's. I mean, these drugs weren't just for um, performance pieces. They were taken be- because they were addicted now. Yeah. And they didn't dress to look like shit because it was the theme of the party. They actually fucking looked that way, which is genuinely unfortunate because Michael Alleg and James St. James, even Gitsy, I looked her up. She exists. Did. <laughs> oh. She died of a heroin overdose at 22. Ah. Uh-huh. She was teenty. She was a BB. Oh. Anyway, a lot of these kids did. Yeah, like, they... fucking overdoses were not uncommon. Like, James St. James overdosed many times. Alec overdosed several times. And these kids would go to the ER. They wouldn't even be completely fucking out of it before they were, like, unhooking themselves and bailing. Is it's Saint fucking James the one that was played by Seth Green? James St. James. Okay. Was the nasally Seth Green. He was amazing. Oh, darling, this is my <laughs> movie. And you know what? As goofy as that movie is, and people are like, oh my God, this is shit. I giggled my ass out. I oh did my too. God, I lost my friend. Have you seen my friend? Friend. 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 There you are. <laughs> That's going to be us. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Any all public the time scene from now on. <laughs> so, as the, the fame of the club kids and the lifestyle became more and more famous, what started as addiction to fame was now addiction to drugs. Um, Michael said that it was all side. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. let me slow down. Hold on, let me get my shit together. <laughs> Goodness. So, it was all satire until it wasn't satire anymore. No shit, you don't say. Uh, the most extreme look was probably going out nude, covered in bloody sores and stuff like that. The whole process of getting ready was taking a lot of drugs, smearing yourself in corn syrup and red food coloring, and using makeup to make bruises and wrapping yourself in bandages. All right. I mean, you do Sounds you, Sounds like boo-boo. Halloween at my house. Fuck right. <laughs> Without the drugs. We don't do drugs. We're... S- <laughs> just I'm, a crypto light. I'm stupid enough without drugs. I don't need them. 
I don't need drugs. I don't need to take a test to tell me that I do drugs. (laughs) Go to the bathroom in the cup. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Interviewer says, can you remember the moment when it turned dark for you? I imagine the drug use spiraled into, spiraled in part because of all the pressure to be on. Wow. Mm -hmm. Read. To be on all the time. Is that true? Yes, the pressure... Oh, this is what Michael says. Yes, the pressure had become intense. And at some point, we did feel that we needed to be on something because you're up all the time. You're up for days on cocaine and ecstasy. And then you need to go out the next night, so you need to take something to come down, which would be Rohypnol or Special K or heroin or something like that. So you get on this roller coaster to get where you have been. Whoa. To get where you have to be on something all the time in order to suit whatever is required of you. As his, as Alex's popularity in this club scene grew, so did his drug use, as you can fucking imagine. He was arrested several times for drug offenses and entered rehab, but continued to, to use drugs. In 1995, his boss, Gayton, sent Alec to rehab once again. Alec later claimed that after he completed his stint and was released, Gayton fired him. Well, uh-huh. some of Alex's behavior could be explained by a personality disorder. He reports being di- diagnosed with, hi- how do you say that word, histrion- mm-hmm. histrionic? Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, I think so. Histrionic personality disorder, stating the doctor said, I was, mo- <laughs> I was the most extreme case he'd ever seen. Everything has to be completely over the top and exaggerated. It worked well for my job. I was a promoter. Well, yeah, he he's right. He's not wrong. I mean, you're not wrong. As Alex's addiction increased, <clears throat> he dug himself further and further into trouble. He had befriended a young drug dealer, Andre Angel Melendez. You got to watch out for those fucking angels. We're trouble. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Angel sought Alex and the other club kids, and was later given permission to come into the close-knit group of Alex. Anyway, eventually, not only did Angel work for Limelight, he appeared on television talk shows with Michael and the other club kids, and eventually moved into Alex's apartment in Hell's Kitchen. Now, that actually only took place after Angel lost his job at Limelight due to the feds catching wind of the drugs, and they shut Limelight down and started an investigation against Peter. Now, whilst living in the apartment with Alex, St. James, and several others, Angel's drug stash presumably went missing at the hands of Michael Alec. Mm. There's a couple of different stories. Roy. Mm. There's a couple of different stories as to why this fight started between Michael and Angel and the events that led to the death of a young drug dealer. Due to the fact that Alec and one of his roommates, Robert Riggs, a.k.a. Freeze, were completely fucking faded on God only knows what, psychosis, time awake, anyway, time fucking following the incident the details are a little bit blurry and then clear depending on the source and who gave the interview now some said that the fight was over a long-standing drug debt and the usage and the subsequent fucking missing stash and then others were like well it started off as angel and michael were squaring off due to resentments that had build building over alex's like descent into addiction and debt and but it started out over clothes like they were fighting over fucking clothes well and then it escalated into everything else. I can pretty much see any of that happening. Dude, yeah. 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 They could have been fighting over the last roll of fucking toilet tissue for all we know. Right. But 
What we do know for sure is Angel Melendez was actually murdered in the mayhem. A-Lig and Rig, uh, Riggs have both said multiple times that they were so high at the time, they didn't really recall everything that had happened. Now, in interviews later, Riggs and Alig would say um, that they knew everything, and that didn't happen that way. Uh, Michael would come back and say, oh, I do remember, but it was kind of like a lucid dream, like waking up from a dream. I remember some, but not all of it. Or he'd be like, it was kind of like remembering a long night after being out drinking. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean. I, it's your fucking story, man. Tell it how you want. But right. Be consistent. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here is what was said to have happened by Freeze. Alec and Melendez argued which turned physical, as things do. In an attempt to help Alec, Riggs took a hammer and smacked Angel on the head multiple times. <clears throat> it was said that Alec also hit Men- Melendez as well, with and without the hammer. It was said that he then smothered Angel and poured Drano or detergent into his mouth and taped it shut. Ew. Fucking mm-hmm. ew. Fucking hi-fi much? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. The body was left in the bathtub of the apartment while Alec and Riggs acquired more drugs. Because why wouldn't you? Like, because, after that, you're like, I got to uh, get fucked up. Hey, that was intense. <laughs> right. But then they left the body in the tub while it was decomping. Ah. <laughs> um, while it was... While it was decomposing... Michael and Freeze then dumped cleaners, Drano bleach and baking soda, onto the body and ice to cover the odor um, to slow down the decomposition. Mm-hmm. Well, good they, try. This was before the internet. How the fuck did they know this? How did they know what to put in there? Well, tell me. Ice slows down the the breakdown of food, so that's kind of a given. Right, but they're high as shit. Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> I, I have no idea. You know what? That's the fucked up part. Alec and Riggs both went to prison for this, okay? Yeah. They had never surfed the web or played with a cell phone. I know. Crazy, Crazy. Huh? Anyway. Um, eventually, Michael decided to dismember the body, took the legs, the head, and the arms, because why wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> the pieces were put into separate bags, and the torso and head were shoved into a television box. Tele- television box? I said that was so weird. <laughs> I don't know if you know, but it went into a television box. They, they put it in the telly box. <laughs> I don't know why they picked the telly box, but they did. Later, the bags and box were dumped. The box ended up in the Hudson River, where months after the murder, it was washed ashore at Oakwood Beach and was found by children. What a nice thing to find at the beach. I know. Let's go to the beach and find a fucking body. Yeesh. Yeesh. <clears throat> However, according to Michael in an interview with Emma Brock, mm-hmm. he states, okay, this is finger quotes. This is, this is a direct quote from Direct quote. Michael. Okay, first of all, the hammer thing. In the movie and the documentary, they have Freeze hitting him with the metal end of the hammer and blood going everywhere. He hit him with the wooden end of the hammer, not the metal end, and there wasn't even a cut on his head when they did the autopsy. There was bruising, but you hear hitting on oh, hitting on head with a hammer, and you assume. <laughs> then they ask, what about the Drano? Yes, what about the Drano? <laughs> you assume. Sorry, I can't get past Here, that. Here, you and said you hitting assume. the head with a hammer, and you're assuming we cracked him with the metal end. You're just going to go ahead and assume. 
that it was the metal part. Like, bitches, there are two parts. There are two ends to this fucking hammer. Don't just assume. Oh, my God. So, Michael would go on to say, and I quote. Quote. He was in the bathtub. He was dead already. And he had been that way for almost a day. Again, I'm not trying to justify any of this. We put ice on the body and baking soda and Drano to cover any odors. Uh, odors. Uh, odors. Odors. Allegan says he didn't pour it down Melendez's throat after the attack, but did he smother him? Now, Riggs would go on to say that, yes, Michael placed like a jacket or a pillow over his face and tried to like smother him down. Ah. He says, I didn't smother him. He died of asphyxiation, but I didn't put something over his face and go like that. And he mimics holding a pillow over his face, right? <laughs> We just thought he was unconscious, which wasn't uncommon for people in my house. So we just put him on the couch. (laughs) That's when you know you live in a fucking shooting gallery of just crackheads. Oh, excuse me. Eventually, they realized that he wasn't breathing. So he says, at the time, I was still looking at Peter as a father figure. So the first thing I did was call him and his girlfriend answered the phone. Gaten was being investigated for drugs, remember? So the feds had shut shit down Mm -hmm. and they were doing their big investigation so his girlfriend was like here's the fucking lawyer's number call him no one called a lawyer the first thing they thought of was like okay if we go to jail right now in six hours we're gonna come down and we're gonna withdraw and we're gonna be fucking sick yeah so that wasn't even an option like calling a lawyer involving police and being like hey this was actually kind of a fucking like was it an accident so what happened was what happened was we got real (laughs) fucked up and he fell down on the wooden side of a hammer <laughs> and hit his own head. And then he swallowed some Drano and he taped his mouth shut. We were like, don't do that. Yeah, no. And he was like, I need to take a shower, but I think instead I'll just rub some baking soda and Drano on me. Like some shower to shower and I'll be with, all right. With his mouth still taped shut. And we were like, man, you got to get that. It's going to burn your throat. But and he, he was, was like, like, no. He was like, I've used Listerine. I can use Drano. I got this. So... so you know michael was asked well what did you do he said we put him in the bathtub and left duh duh what would you do what do you what do you do after you murder a friend do yeah like it's not like the movies where you roll them up in a rug and just toss it out back (laughs) (laughs) so um it's actually an odd fact of the case that the dismemberment of melendez is harder for people to wrap their heads around than the fact that he was actually killed in the first place. And maybe that's because those people that are like, oh, you've got a dangerous profession. You know, ladies of the night who are working girls, drug dealers, you know, shit like that. They're like, whoa, what's a dangerous job? But then they're like, oh, yeah. And then he was dismembered. People are like, oh, my God. Right. Well, you know, I guess hacking legs off your former friend in the cold daylights, you know, puts... A-leg kind of beyond the compassion of most, pe- most people's most reach. People. I'm just going to Sean Connery the fuck out of this. <laughs> I'll take five. <laughs> I can't. I'll take 500. No, what is it? I'll I take can't. your mother for 500, yes. Alex. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, like dismembering your friend in the middle of the fucking day is pretty much like nobody's going to give you compassion and nobody's going to comprehend like what the fuck exactly was going through your brain. Mm. So while Michael was in prison and he was still using drugs, he was actually having really bad flashbacks. Fuck, sorry, I shouldn't laugh. He was having really bad flashbacks. (laughs) (laughs) No shit. You You think? (laughs) Jesus. Fuck. Careful. You killed somebody. You waited to dismember him. A week. A week. So let's start and think, Uh, like, stop and think about what kind of a condition the body really is in by the time 
you're taking it apart. And when you're like touching it and the flesh is just like, Bleh. oh my God, just like, you know how sometimes <laughs> I just made myself sick. <laughs> I, you know, do you ever use like Jimmy Dean Sasha, 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 Sean Connery? <laughs> You son of a bitch. <laughs> you take sausage and you thaw it out and you go to put it in the pan. But when you squeeze it out of the pack, it's hard in the middle. But like the outside yes. just falls off of it. That's kind of what um, I look at. Mm-hmm. Ex- exactly. Exactly. Like exactly, that. Alex. <laughs> so he was having these really bad flashbacks. And Alex says that his psychiatrist said that it was PS, uh, PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, he was suffering from pro- Prost. Post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> Post. He was, oh, fuck. Which PTSD is not funny, but he was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and that he would continue to have flashbacks until he actually dealt with whatever trauma guilt was left over from the fucking event. Yeah. Do you think he vomited while he dismembered the body? I don't know because he was on so many drugs. Right. Like, it can't, it couldn't, like, I've never drugs. I've never drugs. <laughs> Oh my sure? God. Until I'm, today, I've never drugged. <laughs> I've never drugged. Fuck. <laughs> but I can imagine at the, like, the amount of drugs that they were doing, it didn't seem real. Because you know when you do shit when you're like super drunk, that's all I have to compare it to? Stop. <laughs> I did all I, I did drug. I drug. I never I, drug. I, I love lamp and I drug. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh. I've never drug. What? What? What, are, what is drugs? Never. Never. I did never. <laughs> what is drugs? But anyway, I bet he didn't think it was real. It didn't seem real while he was doing it. You know what I mean? It was yeah. like, oh, is this fucking real? Is this real right now? I don't know, man. It seems a little culty. <laughs> seems a little culty. The killing of Melinda. I mean, name. The killing of Melendez would most certainly not have happened if Alec and the others in the room at the time had not been on drugs. But Alec is careful to avoid the drugs made me do it line. <clears throat> A precondition of rehab and parole is to take responsibility for your crime. Um, he said, quote, I was res- responsible because I made the decision to do drugs, he says. And when I made that decision, I wasn't on drugs. <laughs> That means that I um, want everybody to know this is my fault. Um, I was responsible because I made the decision to do drugs, and I wasn't. I wasn't high when I made the decision to do drugs. I've never what? drugged. I've. What is drugs? Drugs. Did you ever watch that episode of Cops? No. Fuck. Now I got to show it to you. Anyway. Yes. So he was still on drugs in the weeks after the killing. However, when he appeared on TV and said sarcastically of Melinda's. Quote, he was a copycat, so I killed him. (laughs) On television, he was a copycat. Ha! So we killed him. (laughs) Goodbye. Be done. (laughs) We're done with you. It was an unfair edit, Alec now says, and it should have included his preceding comment, which was, quote, you want me to say something shocking like he was a copycat, so we killed him. Hmm. Yeah, but they didn't... It didn't stop him from fucking telling every goddamn Larry Dick, Mo and Harry, Tom and, and Harry, fucking Larry Dick. We're just gonna add to all these I'm names. Just, I'm just we're just gonna roll out some names. <laughs> I bet Tommy, Vinny, <laughs> Scotty, and fucking yeah, George <laughs> and Georgie could all fuck you up. I mean, it was New York. It was, but he was telling everybody. <laughs> Anybody that would listen 
to, to be exact. Even people who wouldn't listen, I'm sure. <laughs> on April 26th, not 1992, <laughs> there was not a riot on the streets. <laughs> Tell me, where were you? <laughs> it took me Story. a second to catch on. Sorry about that. It was April 26, 1996. <laughs> well done. Well done. Musto reported rumors of Alex's involvement in Melendez's death in a blind item in his Village Voice column. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Although no names were used, Musto's reports included the details of the murder. Musto had previously reported on Alig's firing from the limelight and noticed and noted the buzz about a missing club person. The following day, the New York Post's page six column ran a lead a lead item about the murder mystery, citing Musto's reporting as well as New York as well as a New York magazine's piece quoting an evasive A-leg. Over the coming weeks, the Village Voice continued to report and make accusations about Melendez's murder. 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 Yes. Dun-dun-dun. Not only that, but Alec actually made party invitations to Mm -hmm. a shindig that actually joked about his murder. Yeah. So, like, people were getting sick of it. They were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? It's not funny anymore, man. (laughs) You're taking it too far, man. Right. Listen, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, and I don't like saying important things, but you're taking it a little too far. (laughs) I don't like want to be serious and all because... I don't want to to kill the vibe, but... (laughs) So through September of 1996, the police still hadn't questioned Michael, and the whole... The whole idea behind it was they were focusing more on Peter Gayton and they wanted Alec to testify against him. So they didn't want to press up against Michael and ruin the opportunity to take down more fish or bigger fish in the in the mayhem. Now, since several months had passed, many believed that Michael was going to get away with murdering Melendez until those kids that were playing on the water pulled the box containing fucking legless torso out of Oakwood Beach over there uh, near Staten Island. In November of 1996, the coroner reported that the body was identified as Andre Angel Melendez. At this point, Michael had actually taken off, fled New York, ran to New Jersey, where he was living with a uh, little drug dealer boyfriend of his. And um, he was living in this little seedy shit hole motel. Um, and that's where the police actually found him. They, uh, I want to, I was trying to remember where the fuck that was, because it was a goofy ass naming town. Naming town. Naming. Where they do, where they drug. <laughs> do they drug? <laughs> what is drugs? In the naming town. <clears throat> anyway, uh, they were found at that shitty little motel, and Riggs was actually arrested later. Now, Robert Riggs, a.k.a. Freeze, confessed and gave the police the full description of the murder that we earlier discussed, which was prior to Alig's you know, description of the events. We tapped him lightly on the back of the head. With, with the, not the metal end, not right? Not the metal end. And I didn't smother him like this. I did it slowly. <laughs> I went like it this. was more like this. I just mm-hmm. covered his mouth. I wanted him to be quiet. Yeah, and I whispered in his ear. And he asphyxiated while I did it. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. <laughs> I don't know. You guys assume too much. <laughs> God, you, why can't you just listen to my story? No way, no how, you presumptuous shit. <laughs> so, uh, 
Since the police wanted Michael to testify against Peter, they were very hesitant to charge him, and eventually they just offered him and Freeze a, a plea deal. First-degree manslaughter, 10 to 20 years. Alig and Riggs both took the deal October 1997. Now, Michael was actually moved around through several prisons and actually spent some time in Riker Island for the psych problems that he had. Um, and, <clears throat> excuse me, English, read. Oh, he was actually, <laughs> fuck words. He started like moving off the page and I was like, what the hell? Uh, he was actually punished and placed in solitary confinement more than once at more than one facility for using drugs and testing positive for them. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Seville. <laughs> Seville. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. Several documentaries, a movie, and even a blog from James St. James was done during Alex's ten- tenure. Tenure. I don't know big words. I'm too stupid because I did drug. Because <laughs> I drug. Because I drug. What is drugs? <laughs> In the clink. Phone calls from a felon. <clears throat> a felon blog? Yeah. That was phone it? calls okay. from a felon blog. Okay. Oh, that's the name of the blog. I'm mm-hmm. with you. A blog called <laughs> Phone Calls from a Felon and Glory Days. The Life of the Life and Times of Michael Alig. Alig. <laughs> Alig. I keep saying it wrong. You say must, musto, and it's musto. It's I fine. Know. I'm just going to let you go with it. It's like Eileen Warnos. Oh, come on, Eileen. Yeah. Because when it's you look at it, those, you're like, Eileen. Yeah, no, it's one Eileen. of those things that I'm never, it's just never going to get fixed. I, I'm sorry. Eileen. <laughs> Robert Freeze Riggs was paroled in 2010, and Michael was released from prison in 2014. The thing Michael himself still boggles at is not the crime itself, but the fact that such horror and ugliness grew out of something with such promising beginnings. Club Kids had been a benign undertaking, driven by self-promotion, sure, but also by a desire to help other people who were having hard times assimilating like, um, like I was when I was growing up. That was, sorry, that was a quote. I'm going to go back. His desire to help, which he said, quote, other people who were having a hard time assimilating like I was when I was growing up. I came to New York and provided an oasis where they could come and be celebrated. Michael was arrested in 2017 for breaking the law. <laughs> what does that supposed to mean? <laughs> exactly. For breaking said, his for the bre- law. <laughs> because <laughs> he drugged. Because <laughs> drugs. <laughs> for breaking the law. He was trespassing. In a park. <laughs> in a park. <laughs> would that be a park? With a K? Yeah. <laughs> he was trespassing in a park using crystal meth and was arraigned in court. <laughs> All two months after he finished his parole. All right. So if he had actually done this just two months earlier, he would have been sent back to prison oh, for God. an indefinite length of time. So he at least held out to the right time to go trespass in a park Meesh. and use crystal meth. Don't use meth in the park. For breaking the law. <laughs> for breaking his, his law. Here's this law. <laughs> <laughs> he had started a slew of projects, Art Factory Pew on <laughs> it's really what it's called. Pew Pew on YouTube <laughs> and a book as well as a track released in 2014 and 15 with the help of DJ Kiyoki. But as of July 2018, he found himself to be homeless and out of money. You I said g- himself. He's himself. 
<laughs> he had actually turned to the app Grinder to. <laughs> this is the funniest shit. It's sad and pathetic, but funny. Okay. Yeah. He had actually turned to the app Grinder to make hookups and have a place to sleep. Michael is still actively trying to work as a promoter and sell his art, but as far as we know, he's still homeless, minus the grinder hookups. Yeah, so he he didn't have anywhere to go, so he would hook up with these dudes. They would have secret tickle time, and then he'd be like, well, I gotta be going now. They'd tickle be like, no, your no. pickle. Yeah, pickle time. Tickle pickle time. And they, he'd be like, well, I gotta go. And they'd be like, no, no, stay. And he'd be like, thank God, because he actually mentioned in the article that any time he went there and was like, oh, you know, can I take a shower? Can I stay? They'd be like, ah, no, you need to kick fucking rocks. You fuck out of my home. So the more that he played hard to get and pretended like he was like, oh, well, I better be going. They'd be like, no, stay, stay. stay. I just thought of Willem Dafoe and that. (laughs) Oh, God. In, in, uh, boondock saints mm-hmm. when he's in bed and the the guy's like love it up he's like no he's like, <laughs> yeah uh so i guess he actually like walked around michael actually walked around one night and he walked for so long like he had nowhere to go he walked for so long that he found himself under a bridge and it was like new construction he was so tired he'd been walking for so long that he just like passed out there and he woke up the next day and he was like this is it this is what i've become i'm sleeping under a fucking bridge like a troll so as far as i know um, he's still couch surfing. He's still homeless, and he hasn't been able to reconcile whatever differences he had with the landlords of Art Factory. So I don't really know what's going on with him now. So don't do drugs. They're so maybe, bad. Maybe don't get really fucked up on a veritable cornucopia of illicit drugs and kill your fucking drug dealer. And stay, stay out of chalk lines. lines. Goodbye. I fucking knew it. So Angel Melendez was actually born on March 17th, making him a Pisces, which so am I. And one of our biggest downfalls, if you look it up in any astrology book, drugs and alcohol. Teehee.